So Josh comes from a big family. You know, one of the things that big families like to do is they like to go on vacations, right? All right, now I think there's kind of two types of people when it comes to going on vacations. Um, there are people who are national park vacation people, and then there are theme park vacation people, all right? Now, if you're like, what's a national park? You're probably not a national park vacation kind of person. So when I talk about national park, I'm talking like Yellowstone, Grand Canyon, Grand Tetons National Park. I'm talking about those places that, that when you think about, man, where I want to go in this country, I want to go see some of those big things. And then there are theme park people. And again, there's nothing wrong with theme park people. They're just theme park people. Let's go to Disney. Let's go to Disney. I got a tattoo of Mickey Mouse on my butt. Let's go to Disney. Like there are those people out there. And you've met some of those people. Now listen, what I'm getting ready to say, I, I, look, I have nothing against people that love to go to Disney. You just love to go to Disney. That's awesome. I'm not particularly that type of person, so that's okay. And you guys don't let, don't vote based off of how I think I, you should vote, okay? So I want to know, okay, who, who am I talking to? Like, what's, what's my audience, all right? That's any good preacher has to know that. So I want to know, are you a theme park person? Are you a national park person? All right, so theme park people, theme park people, everybody online, if you're a theme park person, give a heart, Okay. Theme park people give a heart, okay? Everybody look around, okay? All right, good. Know to get points from or whatever you do on those things, or those little wristwatches that get you across lines. National park people, where are we at? Okay, good, 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 good. Okay, I want to show you a picture. They're just kind of helping everybody kind of know where we're at in this, okay? I want to show you a picture, and I want you to tell me where you think this picture is coming from. If you think it's coming from a national park or a theme park, okay? I want to show you a picture. Check this out. National park or theme park? What do you think online, folks? Theme park or national park? It's a theme park. Look, this is the Wilderness Resort in, wait for it, Orlando, okay? This is at Disney World. This is not at a mountain place. This is not in the Grand Tetons. This is not Wyoming, Colorado, Washington, or Montana. This is in Orlando, and those rocks are fiberglass, um, whatever they are. I don't know. They're not plastic. I don't know. They're definitely not real. Okay, so this is at Disney's Wilderness Resort. Now, this is a good place. Look, I, I would go here if somebody else paid for it. I would go here for sure. I, I want to show you the, the inside. Look, I think we have a picture of the inside. Yeah, check that out. Okay, so it's got this beautiful log cabin look to it. Some of you guys are like, let's book it. Let's go there now. Um, it's beautiful on the inside, but here's what you need to know. This whole resort park, while it is good, it was designed after one that is true, one that is real, one that is the actual original. See, in this place called Montana and Wyoming, there's this big national park called Yellowstone. Have you heard of it? Yellowstone, okay? So in Yellowstone, there is called the Old Faithful Lodge. It's this giant log cabin that this thing is modeled after. I wanna show you the inside of the Old Faithful Lodge. It's awesome, I've been in here before, uh, sat around that big giant fireplace. So this whole Disney Lodge is modeled after this Old Faithful Lodge, all right? So they said, hey, we want to make it safer. You know, you go to Yellowstone, you're going to have to deal with elk and bison and buffalo and, and bears. Just come to Florida where you only got to deal with gator fans and mullets and jorts. And just come on down here to Orlando. Don't have to worry about any of those things. And what's even crazy about this, what's crazy about this is, is even in, like I was looking at some of the pictures of this lodge, they've even, so let me back up. One of the most amazing things about Yellowstone is the Old Faithful and it's the geothermal features, the, the geysers and or the hot springs and all those types of stuff. And there are actually some hot springs at Yellowstone that you can go down and sit in and it acts like a God's hot tub, which is pretty awesome that God in his providence and grace will go, people need hot tubs, hot tubs. And before we ever built one, he was like, hot tubs. 
But even in this lodge, indoors, at this, yellow st- or this um, wilderness lodge in Orlando, they, they've built this thing that looks like a, it's not, not like all, you know, like a normal hot tub. It's made to look like you're sitting inside of a hot spring. Which is, I'm like, yeah, that's crazy. Now listen, again, I don't have anything against Disney. What's happened at the Wilderness Lodge is good, but it's not true. And I think what's happened a lot in our culture around love, marriage, divorce, sex, relationships, some is actually good, but it's not true. And so today what I want to do is, is I want to take us to this place where we figure out what is actually true about these things. What God's word actually says about these things, because what can happen is we get so lulled in believing, okay, I just want to do the thing that is good, that we sacrifice and we become okay with just a good marriage, just a good relationship, just a good sex life, that we don't really understand what a true one actually is. So Jesus is going to talk to us about true marriage, true divorce, and lean into these things. And as we get into these things, one of the things I want you to understand is everybody in this room, in the same way that Disney sold some people that what they were experienced at that wilderness lodge, like some people came there and unlike me, like I, I've been to Yellowstone. I've seen Old Faithful. I've been inside that, that, yellow, that Old Faithful lodge. I've seen all those types of things. So I know how it compares to the real thing. A lot of people never have. In the same way, there's a lot of people who've never experienced God's real and God's true. If I was to ask you, okay, where did you get your opinions and your beliefs and your worldview on love, divorce, marriage, sex. Where'd you get all those things? And if I was to ask you, what are your, your views on those things? When you started to say back what you would say back, would it be more influenced by sitcoms and social media and society and in your parents or your grandparents than it would the Bible? Look, I, it's our only influence on how we view marriage may not be the Bible, but it should be the majority. It should be the root. It should be the true part. And my question here is, if I was to ask you that, with what you say about those things, line up with what Jesus says. And if those things were different, would you trust him enough to leave Orlando and go to Montana, to go to the true place? It's harder. I mean, I can tell you, I've priced them both out. It's a whole lot more expensive to go to Jackson Hole, Wyoming than it is to go to Orlando, especially here in Georgia. You just drive. And that may be what has to happen today. I have to go to a hard place. Because marriage is a a hard topic. The only thing harder than talking about the hard topic of marriage is talking about the hard topic of divorce. And I know in a room this size, I'm talking to a lot of people who have either been divorced, or kids of divorce, or uh, grandparents of divorce, or have siblings who are divorced. So it's it's a weighty weighty topic. But I want to weigh into it and see how Jesus speaks into it. So if you've got a Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. See what Jesus says first. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. All right, Jesus jumps in. He says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for the marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, now you're going, hold up, stop, wait a minute. Let's pause. Again, we're here because we believe we're people of God's word. And we're going to go, okay, like, let's take this at, at, at space value. Let's dig deeper. Let's figure out what's really going on, okay? 
So Jesus jumps off, and the first words out of his mouth is, you have heard it said. Now what Jesus is doing here, and he's been doing this in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, is he diving into the reality that what you hear determines what your heart does. What you hear and the voices you allow into your life determine what you do with your life. And so he's saying, you've given the wrong people voices. You've given these religious leaders, you've given these people voices, and they spoke into your life. He's saying that life change, this real life, this blessed life, this true life, it doesn't start with behavior modification. It starts by listening to the right voice. And as we begin to unpack this, that's my question, is, is are you willing to listen to his voice today? Are you willing to let him speak in? Because who are you, listen, this is what's crazy, and it's terrifying for what my role is, who you are becoming right now, like the person you are being shaped and molded into is a direct result of who you are allowing to speak into your life. All right? So let's let Jesus speak into our life. Let's let him, him change us more into him. So he says, okay, you've heard it said, anybody who is divorces a wife, they have to give her a certificate of divorce. So like, okay, what are we talking about here? Divorce certificates, divorce court, we're going, what are we doing? Let me unpack what that means. And again, I'm going to have to set up some context here, okay? Because again, context is king, especially when you're trying to understand what King Jesus says about life. You got to understand the context to which he is speaking these things into, okay? In Jesus' day and age, there were a lot of people who were manipulating marriage, who were doing whatever they wanted to do in the context of marriage, and would get out of marriage however they wanted to. And so when he is saying, you've heard it said that if you want to divorce your wife, just hand her a certificate that she can take to whoever her next husband and go, or next guy is and go, listen, I, well, I've got my certificate. Can we get married? Like, that's kind of where our minds start going. Well, what is this purpose of the certificate? Let, let me take you back there. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses one through four. This is what Jesus is pulling from. Happened in the Old Testament. Again, Jesus is speaking here in what we call the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Back in the Old Testament, primarily there was a guy named Moses who God gave a lot of laws and regulations through. Again, he gave him those laws to provide and protect us. But humans, us, took those laws that God gave to provide and protect, and we construed those in a way that they would provide and protect us and not all of us. So Jesus is calling out how these religious leaders have not, have interpreted God's rules and laws in a way that worked for them and not everybody. So Deuteronomy 24, one through four, this is when they're referring to this divorce certificate thing. So let me read it to you and for forewarning, um, I'm gonna try to slow down so it doesn't sound crazy and confusing, all right? If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent, if you're gonna underline any sort of words there, underline that word indecent. That's a word that a lot of arguments have been on. If he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, there's a lot of ants, there's a lot of clauses. He's working us all the way in here. And if she leaves his house and becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her off from his house or dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord do not bring sin upon the land. Your Lord, your God, is giving you as inheritance. Okay, so we're all like, what are we talking about? That's the stuff that some of you are like, I quit going to churches that talked about stuff like that. That's why I'm here. Why, why are we talking about that now? Let me explain some of this to you. What's happening here is not God going, I love when people get divorces. It's God going, I realize how jacked up, sinful, and messed up you are. And so I'm going to offer a concession 
not a command. And through Moses, he offers this concession. And where two really big splits in the road for how this passage was interpreted, because remember, you had Moses here, and then you had Jesus years and years later. And in between this time, this is where religious leaders and authority were misconstruing all the things that God originally intended to be for the people's good. Now, there were these two specific rabbis. Rabbis were the guys who took all the things that were in the law, all the things that were in the story. They took all of what was the scripture at that point. They took all of that and they interpreted it in a way to tell the people how they should live their lives. Two specific rabbis. One of them was uh, Shema and one of them names was Hillel. I think they're gonna be up there. Yeah, Shema and Hillel. Say hello, everybody. Hello. All right, Shema. Uh, Hillel and Shema, these two guys. Now, where, like I said, where they disagreed was in that word indecent. Shema was much more conservative. And his interpretation of what this text was saying is that the only grounds, the only thing that's qualified as indecent is if your wife commits actual adultery, goes and has sexual intercourse with somebody other than you. That's indecent. That's when you can give this. Now, Hillel, whole different story. And literally, like all this stuff is like, go back and research it. It's crazy. His interpretation was if she overcooks the fish, you can, you can write her the slip. If in her old age, her head starts to sh- be shaped differently, I, which I don't even, like again, this stuff is in there. You can divorce her. If she spins around too quick and her, sh- her, her dress comes up and people see a little bit more of her shins, you can divorce her. If she yells at you too loud so that the neighbors can hear it, you can divorce her. And then there was just kind of this catch-all that was like, if another woman comes more pleasing to you, you can divorce the one you got. All right? Now, question for you. How many of you have ever met a man? Have you ever met? Okay. Okay. For those of you who have met males before, which one of those two rabbis do you think males were more prone to follow? Hello, right? Right. Anything you want, okay? And that's where almost everybody went. That's who they gravitated towards. They said, okay, we'll do that. And so what happens here, and this is what Jesus is addressing, he's saying, you are treating people like they can just be thrown away. You're, you're treating people like, like they're not connected to the heart of God. This covenant thing that is marriage was not just this thing that God created to say, hey, here, here's how you guys get together. It was supposed to exemplify and show the world and illustrate God's connection and God's covenant to his people. And so what happened in the context of marriage was supposed to show who God was. And so he's saying, you're going to kick them out on the street? What does that show about the type of God I am? And in that day and age, it was, it was rough. Because essentially what got instituted was the same thing that got instituted in our country, which was a, you know, pretty much just like a, a, a without cause divorce. You could just get divorced for whatever your, your reason you wanted. And it was terrible for a woman. Because her two options upon divorce were prostitution or poverty. That's all you could do. Or she had to take her certificate, hopefully, and go find something else. And again, the field got much, much more narrow after that point. And so Jesus again, speaking to the heart. He's saying, you got jacked up hearts because you're treating people like they're throwaway people, like they're the honoring. That's again, what we talked about here. They're the, the, the ground, the people you spit on, the people that are dogs, the people that are just used as a commodity so that you can go into something better. He's going after this heart issue. And that's where I know it feels personal because some of you in this room who've gone through divorce, you felt like a throwaway person. You felt that sting of rejection and pain. 
Some of you are like me and your, your, your kids who, you know, had, had a parent sit down with you on the, on the side of your bed and, and, and promise that they were never going to get a divorce and then get one. And I don't think there's anybody who really ha- hates divorce more than somebody who's gone through one because counselors and psychologists will tell you that for a lot of the people who go through it, it's actually more painful than when a spouse dies because divorce is like the death that keeps on dying. Every time you drop that kid off, every time that you don't get that child support payment, every time that they don't call, every time that you have to wonder where in the world they are, every time you see them post on social media with their new wife, all those things are the knife being twisted in our heart from the rejection that we feel. Now I want to say something really clearly here to dismantle any lie that you've ever been told. Our God 100% does hate divorce, but he does not hate people who've gone through one. And so forgive the church, for, forgive my role, any, any pastor who's ever told you that, that you have the, committed the unforgivable sin if you've gotten divorced or, or you're still, if you've, you're divorced and you're still living in that or whatever, that you're just this perpetual sinner who God hates. That's false. And nothing can be further from the truth. God doesn't hate sinners. He hates sin. And he demonstrated his grateful love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. So I want to circle back to the context again, Okay. Because this is king. Now, Jesus, he says all this in this moment here on, on his Sermon on the Mount. And he just keeps going. Which, imagine being in the crowd today. And he's just like, yeah, and anybody who commits adultery without giving a certificate, other than the reason for um, uh, sexual immorality, they, they're causing their spouse to commit adultery, and they're committing adultery in themselves. And he just moves on. And you're, you're sitting in the crowd going, what? Wait a minute. Which is exactly what the religious leaders of the day were doing. Now, here's what you need to know. Again, set up this big context for you so you understand what's going on. The people who were leading the way in divorces during that period of time, do you know who they were? The rabbis, the preachers. And that's why guys like Hillel are going like, well, let's rewrite this rule. In that day and age, people didn't wait for like the government to set rules and mandates to do what they did. When you were part of that Jewish subculture, you waited for the rabbis to tell you what to do. So if, 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 if we lived in that culture today, you would wait for the rabbi to say, all right, mask mandate, all right, so we're closing things down. You would wait for the rabbi to say that. So everybody did what the rabbi did. And so the people who were primarily abusing this just throwaway marriage thing were rabbis, were religious leaders. Now, when Jesus said what he said, it posed a great threat to them because they knew he was calling them out. And they had already killed one person for calling them out on that. His name was John the Baptist. He was actually Jesus' cousin. And John the Baptist, he, he's preaching against the Pharisees and the religious leaders and their hypocrisy. And he specifically leans into one of them in particular and calls out his sexual immorality and how he's breaking off marriages and starting new ones and how it's a sin in front of the eyes of God. And it ultimately gets John the Baptist's head cut right off. And these religious leaders, they hear what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. They give him a few years maybe. They give him a few months maybe. And then they come back. And they go, hey, we were able to catch John the Baptist in this sin, or in their minds, this sin. We were, ca- we were able to catch John the Baptist in this and get him thrown in jail. And while we were in jail, we got him killed. I wonder if we can do it to Jesus too. So they, like turkey vultures, swarm around Jesus and begin to ask him this question that we see in Matthew chapter 19. Look at verse 3. Pharisees came to him to test him. Never a good idea. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Which, again, knowing what we just read, 
all of us in this room would go, That's, you're not. We see, where the, we see the scene change and the music go differently here in this moment. And Jesus, the ultimate diss to people who their profession is reading the Bible. He asked them, haven't you read? Again, like th- that'd be like if I, if I asked you a question and you're like, Trent, don't you read the Bible? It's like an ultimate diss. Jesus doesn't even give them, he doesn't even come right out and answer their question. He just goes, listen, you're supposed to be the professionals. Have not you read? He replied, at the beginning, look where he takes it. It's all the way back to point of origin. At the beginning, he takes it to the true. He takes it to Yellowstone. He gets it out of Orlando, takes it to Yellowstone. At the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they no longer are two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, Jesus is going back to the very beginning. He's going back to the original intent He's trying to show them that God's whole purpose in this was to unite people out of the fact that he was uniting to his people. And so what he's saying here is the real love story, the real true story, the the real true story of marriage does not start with two people who fall in love. The true story of marriage starts with a God who is love and gives that love to his people. See, think about this. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're there. And they are both in perfect union and relationship with God. They are in perfect love with God before the relationship with them starts. God lets them be together. Says, go be fruitful and multiply, which is kind of like their wedding vows. Boom, boom, you're there. They go do that. And they're living their best life for a little while. And then a huge rift happens in their relationship. But before there was ever a rift and a fracture between Adam and Eve in their marriage, there was first and foremost a fracture between their relationship with God. So it is with every single one of us since. The best marriage counseling I could ever give you, and you know you're at a bad marital counseling, when you come into that marital counseling, and the first thing they say, well, tell us about what's going on, you know, how's this stuff, you know, where's you, where, how, what are they doing wrong, blah, 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 blah. The, you know you're in a place where you're getting good marital counseling is the first place they'll go is what are your relationships with God like? Because out of a broken relationship with God, you are hopeless to have a reconciled relationship with your spouse. And that's why Jesus takes it right back there. This isn't a, you know, a good enough answer for them. And so in verse seven, they go, okay, uh, why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce? Which, again, we already read that Deuteronomy, divorce, or that Deuteronomy verse. He didn't command it. It was a concession. He says, hey, I'm not commanding you give anybody anything. There are, there are 10 commands. There are none after that. And get divorced is definitely not one of them. Give certificates is definitely not one of them. Jesus replied, listen to this, takes everything back to the heart. 19.8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Your hearts were out of rhythm with the Father's heart. That's why he said, I, yeah. In order to protect women, in order to make sure that my daughters aren't continually taken advantage of and live in poverty and prostitution. Here's a concession because I know how wicked my son's hearts are. In verse nine, he says, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Which, that's the one that kind of makes us go, okay, well, I got some questions. Especially for those of us, those of you who have experienced divorce or gone through divorce or have one in your family or you're in the midst of divorce or whatever, you go, okay, well, what are we talking about there? Here's, here's how I would try to explain this the best that I can. And again, I wish I could spend a lot more time on this. 
when he says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Again, he's hearkening back to what he said in Matthew 5. What I believe he's saying there is, you may have thought your marriage was over, but God did not. You may have thought that like, you could just bail out of this, command, this covenant, but God never gave you the okay. What he's saying here is if you broke this thing off and you got divorced for any other reason than sexual immorality, then God in heaven is still going, this covenant's still on. And so when he's looking at two people, he said, yeah, the covenant's still on, and one of them is now remarried or or re-engaged sexually with somebody else, well, they're committing adultery. And so he's saying to the men, specifically what he's talking to here, he's saying, if you, for any other reason sexual morality, say, be out of here, she overcooks your fish or your chicken or whatever, and you're like, you're dumb done with you, you may have said the covenant is over, but God in heaven is going, no, it's not. And so from this moment forward, these people have kind of a decision to make. Same decision that we have to make is what are we going to do with these things? Now Jesus has the disciples um, there in the room with him while he's confronting these Pharisees. And I love their response to this. And it's, honestly, it's the response that we need to see to understand what happens in Matthew chapter 5. So in 1910, again, He tells this to the guys in the room and he tells these Pharisees that what God has put together, let no man set apart, that if you commit adultery, that that's the only reason and if you get divorced for any other reason than that, then trouble is brewing and you've sinned against God. Well, he comes back in in 1910 and the the disciples who were in the room with him, they say, look at verse 10. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. (laughs) This is, this, again, here, here the, again, listen, you're, you're talking about fishermen and just blue-collar dudes for the most part. Matthew was white-collar, and he's the one writing the story, so he doesn't paint himself in that bad of light. So all of them are in the room, and they hear Jesus say this. And they go, dang, you better not get married then. Which is kind of, and I love where, I'm going to show you in a second where Jesus goes next. He's kind of like, yeah. And Paul picks up on that same thing. He said, you know, it's probably better if you don't. But if you're going to burn with passion, it's probably better that you do. Which you never, I've never given that in marriage vows. You know, this is Sue and this is Bob. And Bob was going to burn with passion, but so he decided to get married. Like, we've never gone there in, in marital vows. And we're here today because he didn't want to burn in passion. Um, we've never gone there. But, but that's some of the point that Jesus is making. Because, and, and remember, these are guys, the, these disciples... This is the masculinity, this is the mindset that they grew up in of going, hey, man, she overcooks a chicken, she spins around, shows too much ankle, no way, they're out of here. And so Jesus comes back, and this is his reply to them when they say, dang. Jesus replied, "Not not everyone can accept this word, but only those whom it has been given. I'm gonna go out on a stretch here. You can capitalize that word, word, Word is who Jesus said he was. He said he was the Logos. That's the word, that, that's what's translated there. He said, I, I am the Word. In the Bible, in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the word, word was with God, and the Word was God. And so what he's saying here is, you can't, he's not saying, you know, not everybody can accept this rule. He's saying, not everybody can accept me. 
and the covenant that I'm making between me and my people. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those who have been given. So the, those who I've been given and who have now received me, those are the ones who are going to be able to accept this and live this. And he says, for there are eunuchs, um, which as somebody who essentially, as a male, essentially been emasculated, he said, there are eunuchs who are born that way, which is, you know, people who are born with um, uh, not fully formed genitalia. And again, we've, you know, covered that and walked through that before when we talked about um, Jesus in the our Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. We've gone through that sermon. It's out there. Uh, I don't want to have to go into all that fun stuff today. He says there are people who are born that way. There have been people who have made eunuchs by others. And there are those who have chosen to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That's the apostle Paul. That's every Catholic priest. That's Jesus himself who has said, I'm going to abstain from this for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He says that the one, the one who can accept this should accept us. So what I would say to the single people in the room, what Jesus is clearly saying here is leverage your singleness for the gospel. Don't look at it as something to be skipped over with. You don't Stop looking for a soulmate. You, you, look, our purpose in life is not to find a soulmate. It's to find the Savior. And that's who Jesus is, and that's his purpose. And so he, uh, he makes that really clear. So you're still sitting here, and you're going, okay, well, well, is that the only grounds for divorce? The only time I can ever get a divorce is if, Someone commits adultery. If I'm in a marriage and somebody commits adultery, which again, what is adultery? Okay, that's that Greek word, porneia, which is kind of a catch all phrase. Definitely sex outside of marriage. It can be a couple other things, though. It can be, you know, pornography addiction. It can be some different things. Like it is an infestation of sexually immoral things in my heart to where I have broken this covenant. And again, the thing that solidified this covenant is going all the way back to Genesis 2. What God has made, God has now made two, one. Where that happened in the heart, it became actual and visible in sexual intercourse, all right? And so he's saying here, okay, this is the reason. There's one other viable reason for, for divorce, and I want to show you where that's at. Paul gives that. It's in 1 Corinthians 7.15. He says, but if, believer, uh, but if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Let me again give you a little bit of context here. I can't spend a whole lot of time here. I really don't need to. But here's what he's saying. In in the church in Corinth, there are a lot of people who were um, non-Christians who had became Christians. And some of them were married before they became Christians. And sometimes there would be, for instance, a, a husband would become a Christian and the wife was not a Christian. And he would say, I want to go follow Jesus. I want to do these things. And the wife would say, I'm not about that life. And she would abandon him. In that case, what Paul is saying here is that in that moment, her abandoning that marriage, leaving that marriage, or in it feels a guy, uh, the guy saying, uh, the, the wife becomes a, a believer in Jesus, says, I want to submit to this. The husband says, I don't want any part of that. And he abandons her. That is the grounds for it. Now you're sitting here and you're going, well, what if, what if I've gotten a divorce, but there was, I wasn't abandoned. I, nobody committed sexual adultery, as much as I can tell. What, what do I do? Am I living in sin? What happens? First of all, here, again, I'll go back to the same thing we started last week with. There's condemnation and there's conviction. Conviction is good, condemnation is not. If you have been divorced for a reason outside of the ones we were talked about, abandonment or adultery, and you have now remarried, I do think, again, on the grounds of what we just talked about, you need to ask for forgiveness. God, I am sorry for breaking the covenant in a way that you didn't think had broke it. Now, if you're remarried, definitely don't go like, all right, uh, I need to break off this one too 
and then go get back in this old one. That's not what he's saying. Again, all things, all sin is I confess my sin, I repent of my sin, and and here's what we usually miss out on. I seek reconciliation. So what that may mean is I ask God for forgiveness, but then I ask the spouse who did not cheat on me and did not abandon me, hey, I'm sorry for my part in making divorce a part of our story. That's what it may mean to look like. Here's what you need to know. You're forgiven if you ask for it. You're, you're forgiven. You're forgiven already. Accept it. Receive it. Some of you are here and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm divorced and I'm not remarried. And I didn't get divorced for those reasons you mentioned. Am I just like living in this sin? It's tricky. And it's messy. Because some of you are divorced and you didn't want it. It wasn't yours. Like It, it happened. So my answer there is no. If you ask for forgiveness, and you need to know that you've been forgiven. If you're the person who led the way in a divorce where there was no adultery and where there was no abandonment, there was no abuse, well, then I do think you owe somebody an apology. First person is God. The next person is the person that you divorced for whatever reason that may be. God's whole thing is about reconciliation. Now, we all hear this. And the place that it takes us is going, whew, this is hard. This is tough. And, and look, here's what I want you to know about this. This is just the, the plain reality in all of this, marital relationship stuff. What you need to understand is go all the way back to where Jesus started. When he started talking about anger, lust, and then divorce. His whole purpose was to get all of us to say the exact same thing the disciples said. I can't do that. When he goes and talks about anger, he says, hey, you can't, you, you've heard it said just don't murder people, but I'm telling you don't get angry at people. He's wanting you to go, I can't do that. When he talks about lust, when he says, hey, um, I want you to realize that it's not just about going and having sex with somebody who's not your wife, it's about you lusting after somebody who's not your husband or your wife. So when he says those things, he wants everybody in the crowd to go, I can't do that. And then he comes to this part and he talks about divorce. For all the people there who are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't just willy-nilly un-one what God has made one? Ooh, I don't know if I can do that. That's exactly what he wants every single one of the people listening then and listening now to say. Because what happens there, don't miss this. This takes you all the way back to the words that he started this sermon with. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the people who realize you can't do it. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's where he wants us all to be today. So whether you're married or whether you're single, he wants you to be at a place where you all live a life that is God-centered and covenant-driven. And here's what a covenant, here's what God's promises look like. It is God saying, I am with you, I am for you, and I am forming you. I am with you, I am for you, and I am forming you. So if you're married today, that's your purpose, to say, I'm spouse, because God is with me, because God is for me, because God is forming me, I am with you, I am for you, and I am forming you by the power of the Holy Spirit, not me just, you know, manipulating you and to do what I want you to do. That's what it means to be in this type of relationship. That's what it means to experience God's divine design for marriage. And as I end today, this is, this is my hope is that uh, you take whatever you feel the Holy Spirit doing in your heart and you lead it for you to get help, okay? 
don't, don't fool yourself into thinking, man, everything's okay, and we don't got to talk about these things. That's why, that's why I love our community groups, man. Like when stuff's going on in community groups, you know, people have marital things. They have people they can talk to and work through these hard things. Women have people they can talk to. Men have guys they can talk to. And that's the church I want us to be. But listen, some of you in here, and this is why we put a big emphasis on lay counseling and these types of things, so that we can be a church that helps healthy marriages. The best thing you can do for children's ministry, it, it, it may not even be go down and volunteer with Josh. It's have a healthy marriage. The best thing you can do for your kids, have a healthy marriage. The best thing you can do for a lot, of, a lot of life in general is do marriage God's way. And if you're single in this, it's staying into the covenant that you're already in as a child of God to say, I'm, I'm going to live my life God-centered and covenant-driven until I'm in a marriage covenant or I may never get another marriage covenant. Well, I'm in a covenant with God regardless. And he's with me, for me, and forming me. And I'm going to surrender to that. That's what we come to when we come to communion like we are now. It comes to a place where we have to ask ourselves, God, am I living out this covenant that you sent your son to a bloody cross for? To say that you are with me right here, right now, in the midst of everything that I'm going through, you're with me and that you're for me. Like, which means God is, has your best intention in mind. Which I know when you're single and 40, you're like, my best intention? This is my best life. God, I didn't feel like, I'm not sure about that, God. He's going, trust me, trust me. I have favor on you. I am for you. I am with you. Despite whatever it is you're going through, I am with you. I am for you. And listen, some of the most formative years of my life, your life, and our lives are the years where things aren't going the way we want them to. But they form us into the image and likeness of God. That's what being in covenant with him. That's what his promises to you mean. And friends, that's the only life worth building on this base on that covenant promise. As you receive communion today, I pray it sinks into your heart. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for these times where we can gather together and hear your word. Let it just be true to us. Let it sink into where we're at, what we need, and where you're taking us. Forgive us for trying to make marriage something of our own. Forgive us for the times where we've tried to just make it work, where we've centered our marriage around kids, our emotions, or anything else other than you. Remind us of the promise you've made to us, Jesus. Forgive us for the times where we've broken our promises to you. And seal what's been happening in hearts in these moments as people have turned their ears to you. In your name.